Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Today, I'm joined by Joe Sullivan. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Corey. Great to be here. Could you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background for those listeners who may not be familiar with you? Yeah, happy to do so. So um, Joe Sullivan, as you said, I um, am a co-owner of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. Um, we're a marketing agency that works specifically with kind of the manufacturing ecosystem, B2B exclusively. We've been in business for 17 years next month, and about the last 12 or so have been completely niched down into that space. So I know it's very relevant to what we're talking about here, the idea awesome. of specialization, but yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of where, where we've lived. So yeah. Cool. We're definitely going to zero in on the, the transition at about the, I guess, year five is when you, it sounds like you decided to specialize. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. And could you share a little bit more about what Gorilla76 does with regard to your B2B manufacturing clients? Like what, what, what services do you provide? Yeah, for sure. So I think if you had to kind of break it down into the things that we really focus on doing. It's kind of the first thing is, is positioning, helping our clients. Everybody comes to me and says, and well, we, we, we serve this vertical and this vertical and we've got these products and these ones and we do service and maintenance and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think the first thing is focus and positioning, um, you know, dialing on the right people from the right company, what matters to them, helping them craft the right messaging. Um, second piece of it is is surrounding that with content. So I've always been a huge advocate of uh, of content marketing in general and just kind of taking the expertise in the brains of, of the people on your team and, and figuring out how to use that as a way to educate your audience. Um, third piece of it is, is distribution or delivery of content. So rather than sitting back and waiting for the world to find you, how do we go out and reach the people that the buying process influencers inside the companies you need to reach in a proactive way and in a way that actually creates value for them rather than waiting for Google to send them to you. Um, and then the last piece of it is kind of how do we quantify the impact, both you know the signals that that we're going in the right direction, we're reaching the right people, the message is resonating, but all the way through to you know impact on revenue. So awesome! Based on just that overview, I can tell we we have a lot of uh, similar thinking and approach about how we how we go to go about our, uh, our marketing. I love all that. Uh, and just for the listeners' sake, could, what could you share about the size of the business? Maybe the number of clients, revenue, employees, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, so um, we're a 23 person company, uh, recruiting our 24th right now. Um, we're, we're based in St. Louis. Us, but our team is kind of about two thirds of us are here at this point. Pre pandemic, we were all here, and now we hire the best people we can from wherever they are, which I love. Um, we work usually at you know at any given moment in time. We've probably got somewhere from fifteen to twenty clients, so we work pretty intensively with them rather than kind of doing project work. Um, some, one of our longest standing clients been with us for twelve years, and we've had you know a few more that are five years plus, which is is cool and. Um, and yeah, we're about uh, three, we'll be somewhere between three and four million this year in sales. So to give you some perspective. Beautiful. That's awesome. And your title, according to LinkedIn, is founder and thinker. Could you tell us a little bit about your role there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we, we stick the thinker in front of all, all job titles here. And, and it kind of just goes back to when John, my business partner, and I founded the business, you know, again, 17 years ago, we had that on our first business card is, you know, thinker. And I think mine was thinker and designer and his was thinker and writer, which were really our, our skill sets at the time. But 
Um, you know, I think that's always been been key for us is uh, is hiring people who are critical thinkers and problem solvers. And I think a lot of marketing happens kind of mindlessly and um, without true business outcomes at the center of what you're doing. So there's that. But my role at the company at this point is, is mostly like my accountabilities are marketing and sales for Gorilla as well as, um, you know, kind of some high level consulting for clients, especially early on. Got it. So you're mostly outward facing Helping to spread the the uh, the brand and the message and the the offers that you guys have. Yeah, you know it's been nice over the years. You know, there's a time where me and John wore all hats, right? Mm-hmm. As as uh, when we were a two person company, and even for many years after that, still you know, kind of just taking off one hat at a time. And John's found his home in in overseeing the the people side of our business and recruiting, retention, culture, uh, all of that. And, and I've kind of been business development for for our our company is me and built a great leadership team to really run operations. Sounds like a great uh, partnership with your co-founder. I've been very lucky. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, very, we're really good friends. Yeah. We we're friends first. And, and, you know, of course you have your, your bumps in the road along mm-hmm. the way, but I've been very fortunate to, to, you know, to be partnered with John for this long. So you mentioned that about five years into your journey as an agency owner, you specialized you began the specialization process. Could you take me to the period before you began to specialize? What was going on in the business? What was working? What was not working? And what led you to realize that specializing was going to be important for your business going forward? Yeah, the strategy the first five years was uh, take a check for whoever would write us one for anything that could be um, categorized as marketing, right? And so it was, um, you know, we, we were a in our earliest days, we were kind of a creative shop uh, first and foremost. I, I was always an art kid growing up, and and was you know I, I went to, to school for um, essentially graphic design. Took my first job as a as an art director, and um, my business partner John was a writer, and so we had these sort of complementary skill sets for you know advertising, which is sort of where we where we landed, like more creative advertising at first. But um, you know, I think it it we learned pretty quickly like what an opportunity there was to do so much more than the creative side of things. And we saw companies that were struggling with, you know, just connecting what they were doing on the marketing front to like impact on the business and um, being problem solvers ourselves. We kind of just sort of naturally found our way into solving those, those larger big business challenges and wrapping marketing around that. So, you know, we, we kind of moved from being a creative shop to doing a lot more than that pretty quickly. Um, but it was yeah but yeah about five years in is probably about right when we sort of looked around our our client base and said you know who are we really best at working with here um, who do we like working with you know we did some con- small consumer brands and local stuff you know restaurants and w- whatever and um, it, you know the the companies we really enjoyed working with were business to business they were selling things that you didn't even know existed somewhere along the supply chain maybe or um and you know real technical sales like working with engineers who had all this incredible knowledge but uh, weren't leveraging it you know in in the marketing uh, that they were doing and so we kind of figured out what we really liked doing. We saw this huge like gap in, uh, you know, unmet demand for for marketing and and really a lack of education about what marketing really is. And I think still today, so many companies that are, are less sophisticated on the marketing front, they don't really even understand the difference between sales and marketing and where that line's drawn. Um, so we saw a big need in in sort of B two B 
we would have said, um, you know, we would have just probably at the time said just industrial sector. We've kind of specialized quite a bit more since, but it was a lot of construction, manufacturing. Um, I think it was a time we called it kind of blue collar brands is who we worked with, like people who made stuff with their hands or, or whatever. But um, so par- part of it was just recognizing a need. Some of our earliest clients were there. We liked working with them. It was, it was the types of clients that weren't calling you at you know, 9 p.m. on a Saturday night because there was some emergency they needed. And like, honestly, the lifestyle portion of it was something that mattered to us too. Like we wanted to, um, you know, not not just live a life of stress, I guess, all the time. Um, but so the, the niche for us sort of happened by accident. It was our earliest clients were there. We figured out who we liked and then it became very intentional. That's kind of the way I, way I describe it. What were the conditions in the business that led you to want to make a shift from what you were doing? Um, it's a good question. I, it's, it's hard to remember like if there was a, an actual tipping point or not. And I think it was more just, we, we were, we're the types who were always just looking at the business, like what's working, what's not, what do we actually like doing? What are we actually good at doing? And so I think it was just kind of the, the regular cadence of going through that. I can remember John and I used to, we had like a weekly Tuesday morning standing meeting at this restaurant that's a few blocks down from us right now. It's no longer there, but we would go there and we'd, you know, we'd, we'd, eat breakfast and we'd, we'd get coffee and sit there for like three hours, um, and, and just work on the business. And so it was, it was probably in one of those morning meetings when we sort of figured it out. But, you know, the things, the things we were, we were definitely looking at were, you know, where are we actually profitable? Like we'd find ourselves working with, with companies that were maybe exciting to work on or the brands were known or, or something, but like, we're just grinding away on these. And, and when we're actually, you know, looking at, at profit on it. Like we're, we're, you know, we're putting in twice as many hours on these projects just to get them to the finish line as, as others. So I, again, I don't know if there was a true tipping point as much as just this decision to, to, you know, be honest with ourselves about what we like doing, what we're good at doing, where we're profitable. It's uh, so it sounds like you were, you were spending time on the business as well as in the business and you had some perspective and that, that was, yeah. So you mentioned that the B2B manufacturing or, 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 you know, the blue collar, the industrial kind of business partner made sense. You had, it sounds like you had a couple of those customers at that time and you were able to use that experience as a reference to want to go and explore this further. Yep. That's exactly right. And I think that's, you know, again, I, I, I'd say it happened by accident first and then it became very intentional and there was sort of a, snowball effect that started happening pretty quickly. You know, I remember it being a little bit scary when we changed, you know, whatever it said on our homepage at the time and probably something, some ridiculous statement about how we do everything for everybody. Right. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, in a, we're an industrial marketing agency. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like, cause that was, a, that was a big shift. And it was like, well, what are our current clients who aren't that going to think about us? And what about the fact that we're now cutting off 95% of our total future customers because they don't, you know, they're not part of that category. Um, so yeah, I remember it was, it was, it was, I kind of, kind of remember that moment in time, it being a little bit scary, but it didn't take long before, you know, all of a sudden the things you hear on sales calls when you're on the call with the right person is I love that you specialize in, in working with companies just like us. And early on, it felt a little bit like we were faking it. Cause you know, 
okay because we had six or seven manufacturing clients over the first few years or you know industrial sector clients did that make us an expert no we had some experience there but um, it opened the, the door to more opportunities that fit that description and then all of a sudden you start to learn you see the patterns I think the pattern being able to identify patterns of what's similar between this company and this company because they're both b2b manufacturers for example um, that tribal knowledge within that space becomes really valuable. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few years later, we start hiring people who were previously marketing managers inside of companies that fit that exact description. And they bring, you know, language and and other insights to to our company that um, are relatable to our audience. And so this, it's just a sort of snowball that starts rolling when you finally commit and say, this is who we're going to be. We're going to figure out how to be experts here and, and just sort of run with it. You mentioned that you began to see patterns in the manufacturing clients. Could you share what some of those patterns were? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think something that, and this is, this is really no different than, you know, if you're, if you're in SAS or, or other, you know, professional services or healthcare or whatever, but I think some of the things like, a lot of our best clients over over the years have been, you know, they they manufacture some custom piece of machinery, CNC machines, industrial ovens, packaging equipment, like you know, pieces of machinery that are half the size of my house, and they cost eight hundred thousand dollars, and it takes a year and a half sales cycle to you know get to the finish line, and it's engineers talking to engineers and to plant managers and to you know CFOs and to machinists, and um, and so I think it's it's when you start to see all the same personas and job titles that are like the influencers on the buyers and for our, for our customers, you know, when I can get on a, a sales call and they say, okay, well, you know, we sell this piece of machinery and I'm like, okay, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. I, I know who you try, who you're trying to reach. I know where those people spend time digitally. I've, we've run effective campaigns at those exact people. We understand what their mindset is. It's, it's like seeing that time and time again, even though the product may be completely different um, serve a completely different purpose. Uh, so I think it's like understanding the, how to, how to talk to different members of a buying committee and you know, what an engineer needs to hear is very different from what a maintenance manager and a plant manager and a CFO need to hear. Um, so you kind of you kind of learn that you learn where the, where those people collect their information, how they like to communicate. So I think those are probably the ones that the the patterns that relate to the audiences that our clients need to reach is probably what's most important. It's also led us over the last few years. Now all of a sudden we have software companies coming to us, or technology companies, or robotic systems integrators like vision inspection systems for manufacturing production lines, where they're not manufacturers themselves, but they serve the manufacturing sector that we understand pretty deeply. Um, and so I think the understanding of the audience and the things related to that are the patterns that become most important. And as you began to build your expertise and your uh, focus and specialization in B2B manufacturing, did you just fire all your non-B2B manufacturing clients? Or you know, what does that transition look like uh, over that period? That's a really good question. No, we did not fire anybody because they didn't fit the bill. Actually, I think we may have a couple, but it was less about, oh, these companies aren't manufacturers and more about you know the type of work we're really shifting to doesn't really align with what we're doing for you guys. And we, we want to help you find a, a, a different partner that may, you know, may be better suited for you. And um, so we had a few of those conversations. I don't remember if it was exactly at that moment in time, but the way I, like I have one client right now that they're in the, they are, they're a dairy 
they're like a trader of commodity products in the dairy world, right? And they're an amazing client and we love them. We love working with them. They love us. They don't care that we work with manufacturers. Like everything we do is completely relevant to them. And we've been working with them for like eight years. So no, we didn't fire them. We're, we love working with them still. But what I'm not going to do is, is put a you know, case study from them front and center on my website, right? Because I think a lot of it is just how you're positioning yourself to the world. We'll still land clients periodically that don't really fit the description. But if, you know, again, a lot, I think a lot of the things that are true for manufacturing marketing are true for professional services marketing, for SaaS, for healthcare, for, for whatever. Um, we just may not have as deep an understanding of the audience those people are trying to reach and it might be a little more work to do there, but mm-hmm. um, that's my take on it. That's awesome. I think uh, the reason why I asked is that, is that I've talked to business owners who have asked that type of question, like, how do I transition? Am I going to be burning the ships and basically starting over? And then obviously it's, it's more of a gradual transition over time. The clients that continue to get value out of you, even if they're not in that specialization, if you're still serving them and, and meeting and exceeding their needs, of course, they're going to stay with you. So. Absolutely. And I think well, I'll add one more thing there. Like I remember, so, so one of our, our best clients, I mentioned we've got one client that's been with us for 12 years or something, still still going strong with it. They're, they're a general contractor, like a design build contractor. So still in the industrial sector, but they're not a manufacturer. And, I, and my business partner, John, and, and their head of marketing, their CMO have a great relationship. Like they they go, they climb mountains together. They like, it's just one of these things where they're, they're probably friends as much as they are, you know, client agency relationship at this point. And I remember him, John, my business partner being, kind of worried like what what's he going to think about this like now that we're repositioning our, ourselves and um and we i think just having those conversations with your existing clients if this is a, a shift you're thinking about making is hey listen we've got a lot of clients over here we're really looking at specializing here doesn't mean we can't serve you any differently but want to just get your feelings on that how does that make you feel if if all of a sudden our homepage says we work with this segment which doesn't fit you I think because we had a couple of those conversations and I think if they're good fit clients and you have a strong relationship there, I think probably most of them aren't going to care as long as what you're doing for them keeps is, is working. You're not going to keep attracting others from that particular segment if you're positioning yourselves to others. But to me, it's more of a marketing decision for yourself and how you're, how you're, you know, choosing to communicate what you do and who you help and how to the world than a reflection on the work you're, you're still doing. You mentioned in the early days, you had about six to seven of these types of clients within this new specialty. You also mentioned that you updated your website. What are, what are the other things that you did to build momentum in the B2B manufacturing space? Yeah. I mean, honestly, early on, a lot of it was just marketing and positioning for ourselves. It was, what are the things that, um, we've, we've got a, we've got a page on our site that's been there forever and we've refined it over time, but it's, it's just says who we help and how you can get to through our navigation. Um, but we, we based that on, um, on a sales book actually by a guy named Mike Weinberg, who he wrote a book called new sales simplified. And it's I love Mike's stuff. Book that I've, you know, Mike. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So yeah, I've, I've had him on my podcast, which was probably my favorite episode I've done in 150 episodes. But, uh, but anyway, Mike, his, his, he kind of helped us like just by looking at his stuff I and mean, he helped us sort of think about how we communicate that. And I think that's a great starting place is to just get down on paper, you know, comp- like we help companies who fit this description 
they come to us when they're having these issues. Um, you know, this is what makes us different from the other guys who on paper look the same as us. This is what it looks like to get started working with us. And so we just really latched on to the language we crafted there. We used it in 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 the way we, we talked, to, you know, had our team talk to the outside world, the way we talked internally, what it said on our website. And I think that was the starting place. And then once we got some momentum going in terms of like lead generation in that sector, and we started landing some clients, it kind of reinforced that. The case studies we'd show, whether in sales conversations or uh, or marketing content on our site or elsewhere, you know, we made sure we were focused on, comp- on the companies that fit that description, so it was relatable. So I think the first thing you need to do is you need to make you need to make somebody who fits the description of of the segment you're trying to specialize in say okay, that's me and these people get me and I've had that problem before. Um, So I think it's about becoming relatable first. And then over time, it's the things like, as I mentioned, we've hired a handful of people that have come from inside manufacturing and they bring you know, a network with them. They bring expertise. They can speak the language that, you know, the engineers speak at the, at our customers and at the customers of our customers um, and so all that stuff snowballs. We also started building media properties inside of um, inside of you know, my my podcast is the Manufacturing Executive. Um, I, I published 150 straight weeks as of next week of episodes without missing a week, and I you know built a really great following there. I talked to CEOs. We launched a second podcast that is us teaching marketing. My podcast doesn't teach marketing; it brings other experts that are helpful to mark manufacturing CEOs in. Uh, we run industrial marketing live every other week. It's a live, you know, sort of event where we've got fifty or sixty people with marketing in their job title from manufacturing companies showing up, helping each other. We've got a Slack community running with that. So, over time, it sounds overwhelming if you think about it all at once. But these are things we have layered on piece after piece after piece over the course of ten or twelve years. And it, like I said earlier, it's just this snowball. Everything kind of keeps. Um, building momentum for you and you got to just pick pick a few places but i think it all starts with how you position yourself to the outside world in those early days as you once you had updated the the website the positioning built some case studies really built that you know relatability once they got to your site you communicated that you understood them how did you attract new b2b manufacturing clients at, during that time yeah, during that time, um, I, I, can, I can remember doing um, some like list building, cold outreach type of stuff. I, we don't do any of that anymore. I think it's gotten so crowded and noisy that even if you're doing an amazing job with it at this point, you're kind of getting lost with all the people who are ruining it for for all of us, right? But um, so I did some of that, you know, the like doing little uh, mini audits of people's websites that I really wanted to work with and send in. I was sending Loom videos and things like that like six or seven years ago. And, mm-hmm. and now it's just, there's too much of it going on to, for it to even be effective. But so there was some of that, but we also, you know, we were huge content marketing advocates from a long time ago and it played to our benefit for sure. There were years where we've, we've spent a lot, we've invested a lot less in SEO ourselves over the last few years, but there was a period of time there between five and 10 years ago where we owned almost everything related to industrial marketing, industrial marketing strategy, marketing for manufacturers. And um, and there was a lot less competition for all that. So we definitely played the SEA, SEO through valuable content game for a long time and, and, and we're winning that game. So that was a piece of it. I think it's a lot harder to do that now than it was 10 years ago. Not saying you shouldn't do it, but 
I think today it's more like if I think about if I was doing this all over starting now, I would be I would be focused on on building a media property that you can own, and, and you're bringing in people who have um, who have influence in your space and will cross promote with you. Um, so it has this halo effect where when you're putting yourself next to people who are influential, it, it reflects positively on you. So I guess I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but a mm. lot of it early on was it was you know some some cold outreach, but really it's always been rooted in in developing content that matters to the specific people we need to reach and figuring out how to get it in front of them, which just looks a little different back then than it does now. Mm-hmm. What about? associations, conferences in the space? Did you spend any time getting involved with the associations or going to conferences? What, what did that look like? You know, I didn't, um, but I, I think it's a really smart thing to do. And I think if, um, if I were doing this now from scratch, like we're finding ourselves doing more of that now than we did in the early days. I think a lot of it was sort of intimidation factor, feeling like, um, you know, do I really belong here? Am I, there's some imposter syndrome going on for sure, especially early on. Uh, and I wish I hadn't felt that way. I wish I had just gone in. I felt that way when I launched my podcast three years ago. I'm like, geez, am I really, I mean, am I really qualified to be talking to the CEOs of these companies? And yeah, absolutely. Like you're go in there and, and be confident and, and do that. But I think I look at some people who, um, in the manufacturing sector, some kind of, millennials in particular that are probably, you know, I, I just turned 40 last year, but I'm looking at some people in probably the early thirties who are some of the biggest voices in the manufacturing sector right now that have emerged by just putting themselves out there by, you know, setting up shop at conferences, interviewing people that are in their audience, turning it into LinkedIn content, like, and, uh, I would I would be a, a huge advocate of, of of just trying to build a, a brand for you know your your company and, and yourself personally um, in your niche and I think the the events and conferences are a great place to do that. What role does associations play? Uh, you mentioned that that's something you you're thinking about mm-hmm. doing more of to create more content and to get more visibility. But what what is uh, what do associations? What's the value of of getting involved with them? For a business who's specializing, I think it's the fact that they already have an audience. That you know, if, if their audience aligns with yours, you know, you have a message you need to deliver. You have expertise, whoever you are, and if you can figure out how to, um, you need you need a place to broadcast that, right? And if you're going to do it through your own personal LinkedIn profile, you better have twenty thousand followers and and be publishing daily if you're going to, right? So it's it's like. There's that. There's there are paid channels to do it, but I think industry organizations are a really good way to, as long as you can, you know, you've got a common audience, you can create some value that maybe the industry by themselves can't. Um, it can be a, a great way to go. What role does word of mouth play in your ability to generate more sales opportunities in the B two B manufacturing se- sector? It's a hard thing to. To quantify and measure, but I'm a huge advocate of the importance of that sort of brand marketing to build awareness, to generate word of mouth, etc. You know, there's like for most of our clients when we're helping them launch programs, there's kind of a few things we're trying to do side by side. One of them is, you know, for for any given company, some machinery manufacturer, let's say, 
you know, th- there's some percentage of their audience that's out there looking for a solution because they're having a problem. They're, um, you know, they're not satisfied with whoever they're currently using. Or they're, you know, doing some facility expansion and need, you know, additional equipment. So, but usually we find it's a very small percentage of any company's audience that's actually looking for a solution. And so much of marketing and sales gets focused on just delivering that, like, buy now, we're the best, here are our features and benefits of our product uh, across their their audience at scale. And f- most of those people aren't paying attention because they're not looking. You know, I, I bought a new car two years ago for the first time, and I don't want to admit how many years, but um, I, I wasn't looking at, like, I wasn't searching for, you know, midsize SUVs until, you know, my third child was born and I needed another row on my car. And so, you know, I think all, all the all the sales messaging coming at you and, and just sort of like bottom of funnel stuff wasn't going to resonate. So I think the while there's a component of that that needs to be happening, when somebody's looking, you need them to find you, whether you're a manufacturer or a software company or whatever. But the real opportunity is to look at that total addressable market to say, who are the companies that we that fit our, our, our ideal customer profile that we want to be able to reach and influence? Who are the people inside those companies that um, that we really need to, to uh, our, our message to resonate with? And how do you build awareness and trust and credibility and be a resource to those people at scale? How do you deliver messaging in the right places at the right frequency so that when the time is right for them, you you already had, there's awareness for you. There's, you know, positive associations with your brand name. Um, and whether they, you know, ideally they pick up the phone and call you first, or when they go to Google, even if you're ranking sixth or seventh or, or whatever, you're the, the first one they click on because there's th- that, you know, trust has already been built. And so that's, I think, where so many companies miss. It's They're so, it's such a nearsighted approach, nearsighted approach to marketing and sales. And they're ignoring the opportunity because they, to, to, to build awareness and trust across their, their whole market because they don't have the patience to do it. Yeah. They're so short-term focused. Yep. And I get it. And people have say, you know, sales targets they need to meet, to reach. Most executives don't really understand marketing. So they're putting pressure on marketing to deliver tangible results in a month or two months when really they need, you know, six months or a year to build a, a program and, and even get the right signals in place. So I understand why it happens, but it doesn't make it right. Reminds me, I was uh, I worked at an agency many years ago, and we had a uh, a big client for the agency who was spending a million dollar, couple million dollars a month on PPC ads. Uh, they were in the business of forming LLCs and and uh, S corps for businesses, and the business like PPC was working so well for them. Mm-hmm. And we, we would advise them, hey, you know, in addition to managing your PPC spend, it's important to allocate some budget to SEO. Like you have to, you have to build mm-hmm. some, and their, their site happened to be built in such a way that it was not very SEO friendly. And so um, they understood the need for that, never took our advice. And over the years, guess what happened? PPC got more expensive. And all the while they had, uh, an upstart competitor that they didn't even pay attention to who was all in on SEO. And all of a sudden they were in a position over the years where PPC was no longer profitable for them. They had to figure out other channels. And meanwhile, they had lost all that time to build up that their their SEO. And this other company was killing it on SEO and ranking 
uh, you know, top of the search results. And so it was a, it was a mistake that they had made. And I think it's a, it's a natural mistake. I've seen it where, uh, the short term focus of, PPC and paid ads transactions was took precedence over doing more of the long-term type of tactics that would serve them over time. Yeah, it's a really good example of that nearsighted approach. You get a little bit complacent and, and satisfied with what you're doing in the short term. I think like a simple way to look at it is, you know, what things can you be doing that are gonna transcend the channel? Um, and I, I think it's it's really hard to go wrong with you know, if you, if you are a company that has, you know, tons of collective experience among your people and deep knowledge and expertise, um, I think it's going to be a long time if ever before, you know, that having that knowledge packaged up in some way to actually help your audience is, is not going to be relevant. Like that's just that, you know, 10 years ago, you could probably crush it in your niche in, in SEO. Now it's harder to do. And it's again, still relevant. Um, you know, there's, probably a time right now we're, we win huge on LinkedIn at Gorilla. We have got eight people on my team probably who are publishing some great insights daily and building great networks. Like, mm. but you know, we're relying on a, on another platform. And, and if, if LinkedIn went away tomorrow, um, it would be a bump in the road for us, but all that knowledge that we're publishing there, well, okay, now where, where, where are we going to go with that knowledge now? We've already got it. We've packaged it up. We've made it. We're going to have to deliver it in a different channel versus, just relying on on some some media channel or something that could you know cut you off tomorrow if they wanted to. So yeah, that kind of leads us to your podcasts, building up mm -hmm. your own um, brand through the podcast. So why did you choose to to launch the the manufacturing executive podcast, and what has that done for your business? Yeah, um, so it, it's interesting. I was. Um, I launched the podcast in, I think the first episode went live in May or June of, of 2020. It was very early pandemic, but it was really pre-pandemic when I was exploring and talking to some different companies about, you know, helping me launch it. I, I, the way I sort of looked at it at the time was, you know, I think it was in 2018, 2019, between those two years, I had written just myself even over 50,000 words of content, like teaching, marketing, strategy, and, and tactics, et cetera, published in our blog. A lot of that stuff's still alive and has been, some of it needs a, a refresh really badly. Other stuff has been refreshed. But I guess the point was the written written content in blog format was really kind of the platform for publishing knowledge. And I said, well, all right, the podcasting medium's blowing up. I'm interested in it. I don't know if I'd be good at it, but um, I'm definitely interested in it. And so my original intention with the podcast was, well, okay, naturally I'll launch an industrial marketing podcast. I've already got all this written content. I can easily just start publishing that in, in audio format. And I, I always, I'll always be thankful to, it was Dan Sanchez at, um, he was at the time at Sweetfish Media who, um, if you know Dan, but he, uh, he, he was, I hired Sweetfish to produce the podcast for me. And Dan was advising me early on. He's like, no, you're not going to do, he told me, you're not doing a marketing podcast. You're going to do a podcast where you're going to interview the types of people that you want to reach and connect with. And um, the owner of Sweetfish, James Carberry, his, his book, Content-Based Networking, was, was influential to me. It was, how do you use a media platform as a way to meet people you'd otherwise never get a chance to talk to, put the spotlight on them, not yourself. And so I, I would infuse 
you know, I still do it probably every, every 10th episode or so is, is marketing, but you know, specific to manufacturing, but other, you know, I'm talking about supply chain. I'm talking about labor. I'm talking about, uh, and I'm not by, I'm talking about, I mean, I'm interviewing other people who are talking about it, things that the CEO and COO and CFO and CMO, like the people that I need to reach inside the companies I want to reach, what matters to those people? How can I bring in other experts? And the effect of this has been incredible because, um, as opposed to just me, me talking like a, I've met so many people I would never meet. Like, you know, owner, what CEO wants to, of a manufacturing company wants to you know, take a 45 minute call from a marketing guy, right? None, right. It's, we're not going to make it past the receptionist. Um, <laughs> uh, but you have those conversations and in a, in a way that's non-intrusive that puts the spotlight on them. So I've, I've, it's just opened the door to those conversations, um, it's, it's led me to, you know, I've been asked to speak at events because my name is, you put yourself next to people who are influential. I think I said it earlier, there's sort of this halo effect that comes off on you. Um, it has been the best market research I've ever done hands down. You know, I've had 150 conversations over three years with people in manufacturing and I've learned so much about things that my matter to my audience just by having, you know, all these conversations. So, you know, I'm way better at my job as a result of doing this. I understand my audience that much better and we can trace plenty of revenue at this point to, to this podcast, even though not once have I ever asked for a sales call after, after one of those conversations, it, it, it just sort of happens because naturally it turns into, so tell me a little bit more about your company, Joe, and talk about it and like, all right, we should, let me put you in touch with our CMO. You guys should have a conversation at some point or something. Right. And that sort of thing just happens. And then the other thing that happens is, yeah, I have a podcast and, and I have episodes that get downloaded by, I think we have about 800 unique listeners. It's not anything insane at this point weekly, but it's, it's significant enough to be impactful in my niche. But the thing that happens is I, every podcast episode, I break down into three, four video clips. We use them on LinkedIn. I hand the folder of those clips to the guests. Their companies promote them. And often their companies have way bigger reach than my 23-person company does. So it's just another one of those snowball effect things where um, one conversation like we're having right now turns into so much more and you're doing it for three straight years. It's um, yeah, it's, it's been a really positive experience. That's awesome. Taking a step back, what are to you, and based on this experience, what are the positive aspects of taking a vertical approach to an agency or a business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the positive facts, I think that the number one thing is understanding the people you need to reach. And as an agency, understanding the people that my customers need to reach, right? You just... Um, when you're, I kind of said it earlier, but when when we know that we need to reach for our clients, we they need to reach engineers and plant managers and CFOs, and we understand how those people think differently from each other and what matters to them, where they spend time, how they collect information, how they prefer to communicate. Um, that that understanding. It just gives us such a, a leg up on other agencies who don't regularly work with those types of people. And, you know, we, we, the mistakes we were making for our clients five years ago, we don't make now because we, we know, I mean, not to say we don't make mistakes, but like, you know, a lot of that, that testing work and, uh, is, has, you know, we, we've learned from it every single time. So I think that's a big piece of it. I think it lets you, 
uh, the positioning and marketing element for yourself of just being able to state, we work with companies. Like I have a, another page on our site called Our Ideal Client. And we say, we're best at working at, with companies who do 20 million to 200 million a year in sales, in manufacturing, um, commodity products aren't our specialty. It's better when you're heavy, heavily engineered, highly customized products with long sales cycles, selling to engineers and plant managers, et cetera. And so we kind of go through a list of these characteristics. And when people see that, they're like, oh my gosh, that everything on that bar- box or all those boxes I can check that's us or six of the seven are so naturally like you're in a better place right out of the gate when you have um, those sales conversations because there's some trust built already that you understand the niche you feed case studies into that you build media properties around it and then people can hear you talk and know that you're not just it's not a bunch of BS but you actually like know what you're talking about and you can speak their language so I think there's just so many advantages. I think that the challenge sometimes for a lot of people is just going to be making the leap. There's for many, there will be a tough period of time there potentially. Um, I think you, you want to have a good sense for, you know, is, is there actually product market fit for the, the service we sell and who we're trying to reach? I mean, manufacturers, for example, they are not marketing savvy in general. And I, I, 10 years ago, I had to do a lot more education in my audience just to help them understand the value of what we did versus a SaaS buyer is marketing is ingrained in what they do maybe. And and so you have to talk in a, even a more sophisticated way to them. So, you know, it's going to come with its challenges, but from my perspective, um, the, the, the benefits are going to far outweigh the, you know, the, the risks and, and challenges. Are there any negatives to verticalizing your business? I mean, you're cutting off uh, most of your potential customers, right? Like you're, we don't, we don't position ourselves to, we've never positioned ourselves to B to C. So like from, from day one, we were exclusively B to B or not day one, but by, you know, a year or two in at least um, very early, there was that. So we cut off a large percentage of our audience there. We did it again when we zeroed into industrial sector. We did it again when we started specifying which type of manufacturers even were best at working with. So um, some of it can be incremental, I think, but uh, where you kind of just keep going a little deeper as you really realize what you're good at doing and validate that there's demand for what you're selling and um, and there's enough value in, in, in terms of how, how what you sell is perceived by your audience. Um, so I think that probably the number one negative, if you want to think of it that way, is just the fact that you're, you're taking on more risk by cutting off a, a large percentage of your audience. I think you can also, you don't have to ver- specialize in a vertical. I think it can be a horizontal specialization where you, something you do, you do really well. Sometimes it can be a persona-based segmentation. I've seen companies that work with, you know, B2B companies that, you know, the owner is, is nearing retirement and they want to start transitioning the business, whether internally or to an outside buyer. And like that could be your niche and you could work with healthcare companies and SaaS companies and mm-hmm. manufacturers and yeah. whatever. So I think there are a lot of different ways to specialize. Um, but you, you, you are going to limit your reach. And that, that to me is probably the number one risk. You just you need to be smart about how you approach it. Awesome. Two final questions for you. The first one, just taking a big step back. Let's say there's someone who's listening to this or watching right now and they have a generalist business. They were like you 12 years ago and they are thinking about verticalizing their business. Um, what advice do you have for them or maybe to your to your, your younger self um, as you were thinking about going through this process? 
Yeah, I, I think I would look at, um, you know, do you have expertise here? Is there something that you can at least build on? And and maybe if you don't, that might even be okay. Like, you know, it's, we had a little bit, right? But, um, but I think it's going to, it's going to be really helpful if your own experiences have led you to experience the need for the thing you sell in the space that you, you think you want to specialize in. Um, and that, that's going to help you out. And, and if you've got a team or, or building a team to you know, hire some people, maybe who came from inside that space, I think hey, that would have been really helpful to me if I had some people with manufacturing specific experience, um, early on, I think, Right now versus when we started um, our business or even specialize, you know, you have so much access to your audience right now. Like I just think about LinkedIn alone, being able to pull your audience um, and figure out like we're launching a product right now. We're launching a training course, like sort of a paid resource center training course. We pulled our, our, our audience and got 40 really great responses without even trying very hard of qualitative paired with quantitative like insights and feedback about what people would actually want to buy and what the biggest challenges they're trying to solve are in their jobs as marketers inside of manufacturing companies. And I think that you could do plenty of that by just leveraging your network um, and and getting some real insights rather than just basing everything on assumptions. If you're going to make a leap or make a big shift in your business, obviously that's a big move. And, and I think any sort of insight you can gather would be really helpful. You could you could double you could double down on or sort of like kill two birds with one stone by doing what you're doing right now, Corey, which is interviewing people that are you know maybe in the space. Um, you don't even have to have a podcast. You could just try to start booking. 20 minute zoom interviews with people who fit the niche and try to explore a hand in you know, like firsthand what things they're struggling with and sort of validate that there's a need there. And in the meantime, you're making content that you can use to promote your business and to put a spotlight on them and things. So those are the things I'd look at is like, can, do you have some expertise you can build on or can you get help from people who do and try to do some kind of some kind of at least, you know, preliminary market research to, to validate product market fit. That's awesome. Joe, this has been great. One last question for you. What's your motivation? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I mean, if, if it sounds cheesy, I apologize, but like it's, it's my family. I've got three little kids. I've got an eight year old. I got a six year old and I got a one year old and we're done by the way. But <laughs> Um, for me as, as an agency owner, you know, from the first day, what, what, well before I was even married, like it was, a lot of it for me was about, you know, trying to build a business that, um, that fit the life I wanted to have. I wanted some freedom in my life. Um, and so a lot of that drove it. And, and now it's my family that, that drives it and be able to like have time with them when I want to. But from inside of the, the sector we work with, I've found that I love the manufacturing sector and I've legitimately have a passion for working with these companies. And I look at like the way um, American manufacturing is perceived as dark, dirty, dangerous. And I, I get to see inside these companies and see all the amazing technology, the way that like young people with, you know, computer science backgrounds and, you know, look at robotics and everything happening there. And a lot of people don't really understand this. And it's been really fun to work with companies that are on, on the, um, sort of at the forefront of like leading this this new industrial revolution um, that's so much different than the way people see manufacturing. So I feel fortunate that I fell into a niche that I legitimately wound up falling in love with almost after the fact. But there's a lot of motion, motivation there. It's what drives me with my podcast too, is meeting people who are, who are making actual change in in uh, you know in manufacturing in America. So 
That's, I guess that's my answer. That's awesome. I'm a big family guy as well. So I resonate with that. Where can people reach out to you? Yeah, um, I'd, I'd say find me on LinkedIn. If my name wasn't Joe Sullivan, I'd say look up Joe Sullivan on LinkedIn. There's probably about <laughs> 600 Joe Sullivans. Um, so, but yeah, my company is Gorilla76, um, Gorilla like the animal in 76. You can go to our website, look up Joe Sullivan, Gorilla76 on LinkedIn. Um, and if you happen to be, you know, somebody who's, who's, interested in this space. You know, we, we run industrial marketing live every other week where we are just teaching. Um, and uh, that's that's probably my favorite thing we're doing right now. So check that out if, if you're interested. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining, Joe. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market podcast. If you receive value from this show, I'd love a five-star rating in review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.